Thank you, Lee and Convoy. We are still in this uh, faith that works when life don't. We're in part 25, and uh, it's about principles of living through a pandemic and and kind of all the troubles and the trials that, that, that go through with it, or go through with it. And uh, I was leaving work Wednesday, and I stopped over to see the boys at the Mule House for a second. And I said, how you guys doing? And, and uh, he said, man, we're sitting here listening to what's going on in Washington, D.C. I said, why? And he told me about the, the invasion, and and, uh, and, and I said, Got back in my truck, and I said, you know, I don't want to sound flippant about anything, but I had work to do. I had third through fifth graders I was about to teach in Awana and had a lesson to prepare my lesson for them and get my, my sermon off, and, and I just forgot about that mess that was going on up there. And, and uh, in my mind, there was something more important that I had to do. I just don't think that saving the world too much is going to happen through politics. If, if I thought that politics would change anything, I'd have been a politician. I actually believe that teaching third through fifth graders the Word of God is more important. And I think that it'll be better as to what I'm preparing for today is teaching the Word of God. And so, I want to talk about the principles of living through a pandemic through the book of James. I found out some interesting things about the book of James, or about James. You know, we all, we all know he was the half-brother of Jesus. I don't know if some of you guys knew this or not, but he didn't become a believer that his brother was the Son of God until after he rose from the grave. And then did you guys know that James had a street name? It was Camel Knees. That's what the people called him. He was a pastor of the first uh, church there in Jerusalem. But they called him Camel Knees because his knees had uh, knots on them. But they had come from him praying. He prayed all the time and he prayed for his people in his church. And so he had these ugly knees and they were, they were messed up and they, they looked like Camel's Knees. Because he had prayed so much. But he wrote this book to give practical advice to believers who were, who were under intense stress. The, uh, some of his church at that time was scattered about. They were unable to uh, attend publicly and meet publicly for worship because of the circumstances they were in. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to talk about the last part of the book of James today, uh, handling, handling money during a crisis. And last week we talked about hoarding money and how we don't have to do it because we trust God for our future. This week we're going to talk about a faith that handles uh, wealth wisely. James in chapter 5 gives us three warnings to people who are wealthy you know first one is going to be not hoarding and 
We're going to talk about the other two today more, but but I do want to point out during this, there's three positive things that God wants you and I to do with our money. So I want to look at the negative and the positive together. You know, I want you to know as your pastor, I'm praying uh, for your financial security during these times of economic insecurity. That's my job, I believe, as your pastor, to, to pray for the folks in our church family. I realize that many folks are out of work or, or at best that they're slow uh, at work and, and it's causing some great stress. Businesses are closing uh, around the world, you know, and, and I want you to know I care and I'm asking God to keep his promises that are in his book and, and to keep those promises that, that he's made to you and to your life, uh, the ones who trusted him. I do know this, that the safest place to be in a crisis is at the center of God's will. So I urge you to give your life to him today and let him, let Jesus assume responsibility for that. That's including your finances. But God has told us to do certain things uh, with our money and certain things to not do uh, with our money. I want to begin by reading James 4, 17, and then finish on 5 through uh, 1 through 8. It says, remember that when you know the good thing you ought to do, but you don't do it, then you sin. So then, you who are rich, you have hoarded and piled up wealth in these last days. And the fair wages that you failed to pay your employees are now crying out against you. And those cries have reached the ears of the Lord God Almighty. You've lived on earth thinking only of yourself and your luxuries, indulging every whim and pleasure you have. But like a cow fattened to be killed, you fattened yourselves and lived in ways that cause innocent people to be condemned to die. Remember, the Lord is coming back. You see, James gives us three warnings here. And I want to talk about what we should and shouldn't do with whatever wealth that God has given you, the negative and the positive, how to make money, how to save money, how to use money wisely. So first off, if you got your outlines, write these down. In accumulating wealth, don't hoard it foolishly. Don't hoard it foolishly. I don't have to say much about this because I talked about it last week. And, and so just want to review this verse, James 5, 3. You've hoarded and piled up wealth in these last days. Guys, money is a tool. Money is not good or bad. It's just a tool. It's what you do with it. Money is a thing to be used, not a thing to be piled up. You see, God wants his money in circulation. Last week, uh, we looked at Jesus' story uh, of, of, the, of the rich fool. You know, in Luke chapter 12, he was a successful farmer. And, and, and let me read that. He had, this farmer had stockpiled things. 18 and 20 says, The wise man 
No, I'm sorry. I'll just build bigger barns for myself. God said, you fool. He said, you're going to die tonight. And someone else is going to get all of that. So Jesus was saying, don't stockpile. Don't stockpile it. Instead, here's the positive thing. Save it wisely. Save it wisely. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. We talked about the difference between hoarding and, and saving last week. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but I explained it last week. Go back and review that message. You can look at that. There's just no time today. Sorry. But don't hoard it fo foolishly. Save it wisely. Number two, we'll get it today. In acquiring wealth, don't make it dishonestly. In acquiring wealth, don't make it dishonestly. There's plenty of ways to make it dishonestly. And, and you guys probably know a few. And I don't need to get into that. James points out a, a common mistake. Uh, we may not think this is unfair. But it's this, not paying your employees a fair wage. Not paying your employees a fair wage. That's dishonest. James 5, 4 says, the fair wages that you have failed to pay your employees are now crying out against you. And those cries have reached the ears of the Lord God Almighty. That's a scary verse for some business owners. When your employees cry out to God that they're not being treated fairly, God hears their complaints. God listens. And so business owners may want to consider that when they're planning out their, their, their personnel budget, you know, in, in the years to come. Now, I don't know who this applies to today, but I know it applies to someone because it's in the Word of God. I don't know who it is, but somebody, somebody needed to hear that this morning. Proverbs 10.2 says, Wealth you get by dishonesty will do you no good, but honesty will save your life. This is a larger principle. You, you know, don't make money dishonestly. Instead, treat others fairly. Treat others fairly. Fairly. Proverbs 16, 11 says, The Lord demands fairness in every business deal. He sets the standard. In every business deal, He sets the standard. Treat others fairly. So if you want, if you want God's blessing on your work, you got to be fair with employees. You got to be fair with customers. You got to be fair with everybody else if you want God's blessing. Now, if you're secretly gleeful about how you get the better deal in the negotiation with, with people, you know what I'm talking about. When you get to tell your folks, you won't believe how much I got that far. You won't believe how much I beat him or her out of that. I want to tell you, God's not happy about that. He is not happy about that. 
So how do you expect him to bless your business if you're not fair with the people that he created? Does that make any sense? If you're not fair with the people that he created. So make it honestly. Make it honestly. Don't hurt people in the way you make your wealth or the way that you trade. I want to look at an acrostic that I learned from Rick Warren a long time ago. It's four marks of a truly successful business. And he made it so that we could, that everyone could remember it no matter what part of the world that you live in. And it's acrostic spelled COWS, C-O-W-S, COWS. And the C stands for customer. Customers must benefit. That's the very first thing in your business or your, whatever you do is that customers must benefit. It has to be a legitimate product or, or, or service because I'm going to tell you something. James and I were just talking about this this week. If you don't have customers, you don't have a business. You don't have a business. It always starts with the customers. So are they getting value from what you provide? Are they getting value? The O, it stands for owners. The owners must benefit. The owners must benefit. Because if you don't make a profit, you're not a business. You have to benefit. There's nothing wrong or dirty with making a profit. It's how things get done. It's how they do it. The W stands for workers. The workers must benefit. They have to benefit. We're not stuck in sweatshops. You, you know, and not, they're not benefiting much at all. In developed countries, we've learned to, to give benefits to the workers, but, but not in the, the undeveloped countries. The S, society. Society must benefit. At some point, your business has to start giving back to the community whether it's in our, in our church, whether it's to the hospital, whether it's to the schools. Businesses have to start giving back. Those are the four marks of a great business. Customers benefit, owner benefits, workers benefit, and society benefits from a great business. And let me give you two suggestions from the suggestions from the Lord's Word. You know, you might write these down if they're not on your outline, but Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. Guys, I want to encourage you, stay away from get-rich-quick schemes. If it's too good to be true, guess what? It is. It is. Shortcuts are just a temptation. You, you need to make money the old-fashioned way, and that's, that's earn it. If, if you just get rich, you're going to lose it quickly. Easy come, easy go. Easy go, easy go. It, it, you know, studies have shown that, that the more money you make quickly, the more you lose it quickly. Proverbs 119 says this, Any wealth you get from crime robs you out of your life. What does that mean anytime we're unfair to others and, and, and we rob them of something that is justly theirs? We end up hurting ourselves. God says we, we rob our lives of dignity. 
of, of our character, integrity, authenticity. We just become a, a phony, a con man, flim flam. You know, you lose your own soul. What dishonesty does to you personally is never worth the gain in profit. It, it never is. So make money honestly. Be fair to other people. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said this, your profit is worthless. If you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process, is anything worth more than your soul? No, it's not. It's a bad trade-off. It's a bad trade-off to sell out to make more money. Nothing is worth your soul. Nothing at all. Speaking of cheating people, let me read you Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Can a human rob God? Yes. You have robbed me, says the Lord. But you ask, how? How are we robbing you? God said, you have robbed me of your tithe and offerings due to me. So do you and your whole nation are under a curse for robbing me. You need to bring your whole tithe to my storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord all-powerful, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Then I will protect your crops from being devoured by pests, and I will prevent, prevent the fruit in your fields from shriveling before harvest. Then everyone around you will call you blessed. Nations, nations can be cursed. What is the storehouse? It's the place where you worship. It's the church where you worship, the temple. This is the only time in Scripture where God says you can prove that he exists. And you can prove it by tithing. He says, I dare you. He says, test me. He says, start tithing and see if he don't pour out so much blessings that you won't have room enough for it. What a powerful passage. And guys, this is one of, one of many classic promises in the Bible about tithing. There's more promises about giving and, and, and tithing in the Bible probably just about more than any other subject. And, and why? Because God is a generous God. God is generous. And he wants us to learn that. While we're here on earth, he wants us to learn massive generosity, to be like him. He wants us to be free from the love of money. Guys, the only antidote to materialism is generosity. It's the only antidote. Every time you give, you're saying, God, I trust you. I trust all the promises that you made about generosity and tithing. You're saying, God, I believe you'll take, take care of me. Now, most of what you already know this. How do I know that? Because North Point, I believe, is the most generous church in the world. So I'm kind of preaching to the choir. So you know this already. I, I, I'm always amazed at you. But somebody, some people always ask, Jim, what's a tithe? A tithe is simply 10%. It's 10%. Throughout Scripture, 
we're reminded to give back to the Lord the first 10%. It's called tithing. Well, first of all, God doesn't need the money. It's all his anyway. It's all his. He loans it to us while we're alive. But he wants us to practice this first in our income for three reasons, the past, the present, and the future. First, when we give them 10% back, we give it back for gratitude. We give back for the gratitude of the past. Secondly, is to keep our priorities right in the present. You know, and, and we're, when we do that, we're saying, God, you're first place in my life. Guys, I want you to tell you, whatever you want God to bless, put that first. Put that first. You know, and then third, future. What it, when we tithe, it demonstrates trust in God that he's going to take care of us in the future. If you're faithful with a little, he'll trust us with a lot. Now, some people, it, it's crazy. Some people trust God to save them. And, and they trust God to, 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 with their salvation. I'm talking about eternity. But they don't trust them with the bank account. And I just think that's, that's just crazy. He'll take care of my spirit, but not my finances. And they won't put him first by tithing. If you don't put him first financially, how can you? You put him first with your salvation. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord by giving him an offering of the first of all that your land produces. If you do, he will fill your barns with overflowing grain, and your barrels will overflow with the finest wine. What is that saying? Don't bring your leftovers. Honor God first. Honor God first. So, do you believe the promises of God? Or should we just tear that page out of the Bible? Just tear that out? If you do believe it, I got to ask you, how you showing it? How you showing it? Are you tithing? I tell you what I believe. I believe the best time to start tithing is when you're in debt. You know why? Because that's when you need God's help the most. It's, it's when to get out of debt. I think it's the best time. Number three, in allocating wealth, share, uh, don't waste it selfishly. Don't waste it selfishly. It's how you use it. James 5, 5 says, you've lived on earth thinking only of yourself and your luxuries, indulging every whim and pleasure that you have. This is the third warning. I want to tell you, guys, if you're listening to me, don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. Let me say it the other way. Your self-worth is not based on your net worth. Don't confuse your value as a person with your valuables. Give me that one more time. Somebody might need to hear that. Don't confuse your value as a person with your valuables. You don't need valuables to prove your value. 
You don't need bling, and you don't need status symbols. Proverbs 13, 7 says, A pretentious, showy life is an empty life. A plain and simple life is a full life. James 5, 6 says, You fattened yourselves and lived in many ways that has caused innocent people to be condemned to die. What does that mean? Well, if I'm piling up luxuries while other people are starving to death, then I'm responsible. I'm responsible. If people are dying without food and I got so much, I'm just getting fatter and fatter, there's a problem. There's a problem. So what am I supposed to do if I'm not supposed to spend it all on myself? Well, it's real simple. Instead, share it generously. Share it generously. God is testing you and me to see how much he can trust us with. If you and I are faithful in, in, in little things, we'll be faithful in much. But we're not, if we're not faithful in a little, he's not going to trust us with much. God wants to see if you can be faithful with what you've been given. So a question I've had to ask myself, and, 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 and I want you to ask yourself is, is what are you doing with what you've been given? What are you doing with, with what you've been given? Can God trust you with greater blessings? If he can, he'll give you more. Let me give you a couple more verses. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, It is possible to give freely and become more wealthy, but those who are stingy will lose everything. I'll be 60 this year. I've been your pastor for almost 23 years. I have found out that there are two kinds of people. There may be some that float in the middle, but basically two kinds of people. There's givers and there's takers. There's givers and, and there's takers in life. And if you, your whole life is taken, take, 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 you're going to lose it. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, The generous person will prosper. And whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And I'm not boasting, but I found that to be true in, in my life. I've told y'all before, I've been playing this game for many years now since I've been your pastor. You can't outgive God. I give this, He gives me more. You just can't outgive Him. He keeps pouring it on me. And, and, and it's, it's like the song said, I was saying, it's overwhelming. The, he's good. Uh, his presence, and, and He just keeps throwing stuff at me. And, 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 and he does, I see it with people who are generous. Generous people will be blessed. You know, there's three ways that God wants you to use your money. I hope you'll look at those this week. Regardless of how much you got, those are three ways that he wants you and I. What happens when you do what we've talked about? I believe he'll give you more. I believe he'll give you more. Because he trusts you. He trusts you. 
not only that, it comes without shame. I'm not ashamed because he gave me more. It, it comes without guilt. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't feel guilty because God's blessed me. I, I'm, not ashamed, I'm not ashamed. I don't have any regret. Proverbs 10, 22 says, when the Lord blesses you with riches, you have nothing to regret. Do you get that? I think some of you needed to hear that. You have nothing to regret. I shared a story on Facebook. It's why I used to take, you know, for five years I had Sarah on Tuesdays. She was mine from the time Angie went back to, to work on, on, on when she was six weeks. And, and, and Sarah was mine on Tuesdays. That was my day off, and, and it was just me and her. And, and she, as she got older, I would take her places, and, 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 and she liked McDonald's. I took her to McDonald's one time, and she said, I want some fries. I want, I want some fries. And uh, so I got her some fries, and, and man, they went by my nose, and you know how fries smell, man. You just, I could smell them. I said, I, I, and I reached to get one. She, she kind of like slapped my hand. She said, Dad, those, those are my fries. And immediately I had, you know, I had about three thoughts. I bought them fries. <laughs> and furthermore, I'm the source of everything that you have. She forgot that. I brought you to McDonald's. That's, I'm how you got here. I ordered them dad burn fries. I paid for them. I handed them to you. The only reason, this is the, the only reason you got the fries is because of me. Then I thought, she don't realize something else. I could just snatch them fries. She's only three. I could snatch them right out of her hand. But then on the other hand is your dad. I could fill the truckload up with fries. I could fill it up. She doesn't realize that. I could take what she's got or I could fill it up. Then the third thing is I said, man, I didn't need her fries. But I did want her to learn to be unselfish. I wanted to teach her to be unselfish. And that's what God wants us to learn about money. It's not really our money. It's on loan. It's God's money. And he could take it away in an instant. Or we could get a whole truckload. We could get a whole truckload. He just wants us to learn to be unselfish. Guys, have you got that, relation, that kind of relationship with God? Where you trust him as your father? Where you can say, can I have a fry? Where God can ask you for the first fry? Kind of what the tithe is. Would you give him the first fry? I want to ask you before we leave, we're going to, I don't want you to leave because we're going to baptize Lindsay and, and, I, and I want you to see that. But I want to ask you before I pray, have you been saved? Have you believed on the Lord your God, Jesus Christ, and accepted him as your Lord and Savior? and been saved 
from a life separated from him. If you haven't, I urge you to do that today. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the wisdom of the Bible that you've given us. I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you for your blessings. I pray for my folks and me that we would be more generous. The more generous we become, the more we become like you. And you're good and faithful. Lord, thank you for Lindsay and her decision to follow through in baptism and the courage that she has. Thank you for the example of a, of a wife and a mother that she is through you. Lord, we love you. And it's in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.